All right, welcome to the Good Rookies Podcast. My name is Fahim. And my name is Nelly J, y'all, and we are Good Rookies. What's going on, everybody? Happy Good Tuesday, and guess what? It's episode 48. 48. 48, guys. We got two more episodes to episode 50. I've got something in store for y'all that episode, so stay tuned. However, today's episode, we have an incredible guest, okay? This man knows his stuff, not just basketball, but all sports. So for him, please introduce who we got. All right, so it's a pleasure to have someone who we're definitely going to double down with come the For the Culture segment, but let's welcome Chris Barnett to the podcast today. Chris, 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 Chris. Thank you, everybody. Chris, Thank you. I'm Chris, very happy to be Chris. here on Good Rookie. <laughs> hey, Chris, how are you? I- I'm doing phenomenal. Thank you. How are you guys doing? Good. It's finally good to see uh, the face of the voice, you know, because we all met on Clubhouse, Big Up Clubhouse. And we're going to talk more about Chris's impact on Clubhouse and the audio space in for the culture. But Chris, you know, you are from um, from the States, I would say. You're a military man, but you also have a huge love for basketball, which I think is really cool. Now, I, would, I want to know something because this is something I want to ask you. Who is your GOAT? Who do you consider? Who does Chris Barnett consider as the greatest of all time in basketball? Or do you even have one? So, so I do, and I'm, I'm going to preface this, that I always take Wilt Chamberlain out of the conversation. Anytime that anybody says, who's your GOAT, Wilt Chamberlain is just taken out of the, the, the conversation. You cannot argue anybody against Wilt Chamberlain statistically. You cannot argue anybody against Wilt Chamberlain athletically. It just simply cannot happen. Uh, so when I take Wilt Chamberlain out, uh, the greatest player of all time for me, my GOAT, is the same goat that Michael Jordan and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar have, and that's Oscar Robertson. Wow. Ooh, Oscar wow. Robertson. I love this answer. Can you please elaborate as to why you pick Oscar Robertson? Uh, absolutely. I, I am not a purist, uh, but I am an extremely objective person. And when I look at to what makes the greatest of all time, it, it transcends the production level. It transcends the athleticism level. It transcends the, the marketing and business level, which really has only been around for the last 30 years, thanks, thanks in large part to Michael Jordan. I look at what develops the game, most importantly, as to what leads you to be the greatest. And there, there is nobody other than Wilt Chamberlain who's had the dominance and impact on the game of basketball, in my mind, other than Oscar Robertson. Uh, There's a couple other guys who come close. Uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar comes close. Michael Jordan comes close. In fact, MJ's probably number three. Uh, And Magic Johnson also comes close. But shout out to Pistol Pete Maravich. I don't think a lot of people uh, understand the nuances of the game he had as well. Uh, and without Pistol Pete, there was probably no Big O without, uh, in terms of how we view him. And without Big O, there is no Magic Johnson or, or Michael Jordan, period. And without that, there's no Kobe or LeBron. Uh, so to me, the, the proof positive of the big guard, the big league guard, begins and ends with Oscar Robertson. Ladies and gentlemen, for Fahim, any thoughts on what Chris just said? <laughs> it, um, I rate it. I like the fact that... Uh, now, mind you, um, I, I wouldn't go there. I wouldn't say Oscar, but the train of thought and the logic behind it, I love it. Like, I rate it. Um, for me, I'm kind of in the same lane. I would maybe go Kareem over Oscar Robertson um, just due to, um, like, Kareem's, uh, you know, his dominance, uh, the record, just Kareem... Um, but it's hard. Like we're talking about two teammates here and two people who are um, very influential in how the game is played, right? So mm-hmm. um, I rate it though. What about you, Nelly J? 
Y'all know I'm going to pick Michael Jordan. This is you know what Jordan, okay. Yeah, I ain't got, okay. I'm not even going to explain. The Jordan okay. fans know. That's all I care about. Okay. Uh, but that's cool. No, honestly, I like hearing different names because, you know, you always hear mm -hmm. Jordan or LeBron. Exactly. I, I I remember we had a guest that said Charles Barkley, Chris. Someone said Charles right. Barkley is the goal of, uh, yeah, the NBA. Yeah, I'm a Sixers fan. Shout out Sir Charles. Uh, <laughs> I, love, I love the energy. I love where he's right. going. But no. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah, so everyone's different, but that's why I love asking that question. So mm -hmm. we are coming up to the NBA draft. It's coming up shortly, and Chris, I'm Chris because the way you think is so unique, and I would love to know if you can predict for us the top five draft picks. Y'all take some notes because Chris is going to drop some knowledge right here. Who do you think will be top five coming this well, uh, draft? I need to give a shout-out to my man Matthew Maurer of the Draft Review. Uh, we, we talk a lot. Uh, he watches far more tape than I do. Also, shout out to Deshaun Tate at uh, Tapes Takes Hoops. Uh, he, he does great work for college basketball and CBS. Um, it's not hard to predict the six best players. It's going to be hard to predict the order. Um, so in, in my order, at least as it stands today, and I can actually give you three because I have three, <laughs> um, Cade Cunningham goes first to Detroit. Uh, Evan Mobley will go second to Houston. Uh, Jalen Green will go third to Cleveland. Jalen Suggs four to Toronto. Uh, and then five and six is the hard part because it really depends upon whether Orlando stays in the draft currently at five. I happen to think they trade out. If they trade out, I think Scotty Barnes goes five. Uh, if they stay at five, I believe Orlando actually takes Jonathan Kaminga uh, from the G League Ignite. And that, right. that's my, what I call my chalk. Right. If everything stays to order, that's that's my pick. If Detroit trades out and it goes to Oklahoma City, which is a possibility, Cade Cunningham will go one. Evan Mobley still goes two. Uh, but number three uh, actually might change because if the if Detroit trades out to Oklahoma City, I'm expecting Cleveland to actually trade down. Uh, and if that's the case, I actually have Jalen Suggs going three. Uh, Jalen Green going four, four. and yeah. again with five, Scotty Barnes and Jonathan Kaminga. And then the the crazy, crazy trade uh, that's, you know, picking up steam and some rumor mills on NBA Twitter is the Rockets getting the number one overall pick to actually get Cade Cunningham, which they would have to give up a monster load to Detroit to do. But if that's the case, Cade Cunningham goes one to Houston, Detroit ends up picking Jalen Green, then Evan Mobley okay. goes three to Cleveland. Toronto gets Jalen at four. And then we're stuck with Orlando at five with Scotty Barnes and Kaminga, depending on whether or not they stay there or not. Now, it's real simple. Cade Cunningham's maintained that top spot all season long. I am not as high on him in the NBA term of his ceiling. I think he's arguably the easiest player to draft safely. Mm -hmm. I think Evan Mobley and Jalen Green have a higher ceiling. And I think Jalen Suggs can match uh, Cade Cunningham if he develops. Uh, but other than that, um, what we need to understand is that this draft is so loaded that the players that are arguably picked from 6 to 12 might arguably be, have been a, a 2 to 5 uh, in the last couple of years. So it's really been a great, great uh, college uh, basketball season uh, leading up to a phenomenal draft that's deep. I like everything you've mentioned. Uh, just the only thing is, I think it was your first, your first layout uh, where you mentioned uh, was it Jalen Suggs going to? Yeah, Toronto? I have. I have Jalen to Toronto and all three. So, oh, right. So every time I'm hearing that, I'm I'm, I'm kind of cringing. Uh, I, I I I me personally, I just think um, for everything that's out there, uh, Jalen Suggs for me it's when I look at the Toronto team. Um, Gary Trent, uh, Fred Van Vliet, right now Kyle Lowry's there. Just in regards to guards, uh, we got Malachi Flynn, who's nice. So I, of, of everything, I'm happy how this turns out as long as we don't get Jalen Suggs. And that's not a knock to Jalen Suggs. He might be great on another roster, but on the Toronto Raptors, for me personally, I'd hope we kind of avoided that. How about you, Nelly J? So it's funny. Um, I thought so. I thought that as well until I heard um, our GM speaking, <laughs> and 
he said that he wants to draft the best player at whatever position, and then mm-hmm. he might use that as a trade and offer. So, you know, Masai and, and Bobby Webster, they like they want the best player. So whoever mm-hmm. is not drafted at by after number three, they're picking the best player in their mind so they can use as leverage. They don't care what position he plays. <laughs> mm-hmm. They don't care. And he said that. He's like, I'm not drafting based on position. I'm drafting based on the best player. Mm-hmm. And that's how they're going to draft. And that's why I feel like if we're, best, if we're drafting based on the best player, then Suggs will probably be the f- fourth pick, to be honest, in terms of what they think can perform the best or be leveraged as a trade offer. Okay. That's my thoughts. Yeah. See, I, I love it, except that Majiri uh, and Webster, like, they, they're pulling the, the wool over your eyes. And, and they do this <laughs> to, like, literally 90% of the NBA. I, I, Suggs is perfect in Toronto, and the reason why is Fred Van Vliet is not a shooting guard. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. Fred Van Vliet's a, a point guard who had to learn how to be a shooting guard right. because when they came up in the league, they, they didn't think he could actually control uh, the flow of the offense. But you're coming off a season where he's essentially averaging the same uh, per 36 uh, as the best years of Kyle Lowry. Mm-hmm. Right Now, Jalen Suggs, for me, he, he's somebody that I call a force multiplier. Right. He's he's six three to six four. He's solid at two hundred to two oh five, right? So think uh Randy Foy body type, if you remember Randy Foy back in the day, except probably about yeah, about uh, Minnesota, right? Yeah, yeah, about a half an inch taller, uh better ball handling, better distribution, but more importantly, he's able to be a pure secondary facilitator naturally. And that to transition into the league from college is extremely difficult. That's why we see it takes Lou Will years to really get established as a combo guard. Or that's why it takes like uh, Jamal Crawford to get to uh, New York or, or get to his fifth and sixth stop to really understand he's really just a volume off the bench scorer. Mm-hmm. Jalen Suggs isn't that. Mm-hmm. Jalen Suggs is Fred Van Vliet if Fred Van Vliet was six foot three, six foot four. So what about Gary Trent, though? Because the Raptors just picked up Gary Trent, and we need to get Gary Trent as much minutes as possible. What would you say to that? Well, that, that's the trade that sent away Norm Powell. Um, right. Which uh, I, I tell you what, you know, y'all should thank Portland for, for taking that problem off of your hand. Uh, <laughs> we I, do, I we do. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why I would trade a younger player that you can still get on, on your last year at 5 mil uh, mm-hmm. on a restricted year, right? Yeah. Um, as opposed to having to pay Powell 18 to 24. Uh, so kudos to, again, Majiri and Webster. Great, great pick. <laughs> but uh, Gary Trent, if he's a two, he's coming off the bench. He needs to play the three. He cannot guard the two. He's not explosive enough. Uh, he, he plays heady defense. He knows where he needs to be. But athletically, he's not guarding Harden. Uh, right. He's not guarding Beal. He's, he's not guarding uh, Dylan Brooks. He's not guarding Kevin Porter Jr. He's not guarding Kevin Sexton. I mean, Colin Sexton, I can go on. Um, so he needs to be a three. And then you're looking at, you know, right now, Tim Hardaway Jr. Right. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Give me eight games. You're going to give me a, an all-star game. You're going to give me two, you know, st- uh, third-man games. And then you're mm-hmm. going to give me a, a crapshoot for the other five. And, and so that's what Gary Trent is. One thing about Suggs I want to ask you is, do you see him as a point guard in the league, or is he a two? Because I kind of see him as a two. I don't see him as a point guard. How about you? Sealing uh, a better distributing C.J. McCollum. Oh, okay. That's fair. And C.J. played point guard in, in college. He actually had yes. to convert because he played with Dame. So yeah, I get yeah. that. I get that. I'm rocking. Wow. All right. Floor, I love it. He has a floor, mm. and his floor is Randy Foy. <laughs> like I led with the floor, just so I could get the, the laugh. But that's <laughs> all right. Oh my goodness! Well, thank you for sharing that, y'all. Um, Chris broke it down, guys. Mm-hmm. If you want to hear more mm-hmm. Clubhouse, we'll talk more about that in, our, in for the culture. But Fahim, let's get to some hot topics before we get to for the culture. All right. So let's keep on on, on brand with this. Uh, what's the thoughts on Team USA? Um, Team USA played Nigeria um, and lost. And played Australia and lost. Um, two things that going in, I don't think anyone saw coming. What's your thoughts on this? Oh, uh, man, this, this, I've, I've had personal chuckles um, 
Goofy, goofy is a word now that's reintroduced into the lexicon, meaning certain things that it no longer once meant. You know what I mean? Right. And, and when I say chuckles, I mean, I just sit back and I just chuckle, man. I, I, I'm telling you, I'm on a hammock uh, with the Arnold Palmer. It's 73 degrees and like my son just fell into a sandpit. Um, USA is the number one ranked team in FIBA. It's not even close, right? Like, it's not even close. We're up by 60 points, and we sent Isaiah Thomas, IT2, uh, (laughs) to go play to get us points, right? right? And and we won. But what this is really more so is uh, the adjustment adjustment to FIBA rules from the NBA rules, Mm -hmm. uh, a combination of players just not mentally engaged in after playing a condensed season after COVID, uh, and the fact that even though there is some continuity on Team USA in terms of overall coaching, uh, you, you have a new executive leadership group. Uh, Pop is bringing in new assistant coaches to, you know, rejuvenate Team USA with the next generation of coaches. And even the players they are actually choosing um, are a little bit different. They chose Kevin Love. Why? That that was my concern. Like when I saw that pick, I was like, "Is this like a joke?" To be honest, I was I was because well, no, it's it's genius. Um, it's because out of all the players in the NBA that were available to play, he has the most requisite experience in Team USA. Oh, I see what you're saying. So that's why they chose him. I was and, wondering why. That was like yeah, and and to sit back and listen to everybody complain about them losing to Nigeria, which who, by the way. Seven active NBA players, two former NBA players. Thank you. The team is good, guys. <laughs> yeah, a championship winning coach as an assistant cha- uh, coach, uh, a guy who, with LeBron went to – like Mike Brown is a NBA coach. They have NBA talent. They're being backed by, you know, uh, businessmen where they're able to expand the training facilities in Nigeria. Uh, I, I mean, let's be honest. Like, Nigeria now is not Nigeria of 1992. They're the right. 24th or 25th ranked team in the world. And the right. last time I checked, anybody can beat anybody in an exhibition game on any night. True. Um, with Australia, Patty Mills, man, shout out to Patty Mills. Yeah. Turns into Superman, mixed in with Steph Curry, mixed in with Allen Iverson, mixed in with Tiny Archibald when he goes and puts on the flag of, the, of Australia. Um, you know, shout him out. Uh, I don't know how they do it because they, they, it's not the first time. And you know what? Shout out Della Vadova. Uh, Delhi, I thought it was done. Right. And, and that for me, that's personal as someone who suffers from post-concussion syndrome to see him be able to play on the national stage for his team. Uh, mm-hmm. Shout out to Delhi. And you can even put that in Twitter as a, a shout out for the Good Rookies podcast. <laughs> Delhi never gets love. Um, <laughs> but, but again, you, you saw the adjustment to FIBA, mm-hmm. right? It's a more physical game. It's a faster game. You cannot expect a call and give your half-second pause and have the other team go back on transition, which if you look at tape on both the games that they lost, you saw that all the time. Yeah. Uh, they just crushed Argentina. Uh, and again, my favorite line, wasn't even close. Yeah, no. <laughs> I actually, What's funny, Chris, what you mentioned, um, I felt that a few things, right? The NBA has changed its rules and we we're, we're, they're now being praised for shooting. Lots of shooting and, and, getting, and going to the line. And I really felt that you can see the NBA players not really comfortable without getting the calls they want, without getting to the line they want. Like, and I, I call FIBA, like I call it, uh, I call it 90s NBA because how they play <laughs> reminds me of the 90s uh, NBA, like that aggressive, like if, if you want to drive to the pit, to, to the bucket, I'm going I'm to hurt you. So like, you well, know what I'm saying? Like that kind of play. <laughs> there, there's a little bit of that. Um, what, I, what I had to tell some people is like, as you said, the, the world's catching up, right? The world's no longer, you know, second rate, right? They're one Bs and we're one As. The, the gap has closed. Um, you have USA as the top, you know, uh, team in FIBA followed by Spain, Australia, Argentina, Serbia, Greece, France, and Lithuania. Mm-hmm. Um, France, by the way, they'll probably be top three or five in the next yeah, two years. Yeah, France team looks good um, this year. But, we just waxed Argentina. A shout out to Luis Scola. If I'm 50 years old, I swear I wish I looked like that. Um, <laughs> his fifth I, Olympics, y'all. His fifth Olympics. Yeah, he should be. He should be tested. Um, <laughs> 
but yeah, no, we'll be fine. We'll be fine. We'll medal. Uh, whether it's gold, don't know, but we'll definitely medal. I, yeah. I, I don't see us not getting a medal. Yeah, I agree. Um, I, I have a medal in this year, um, and I think it might be Spain um, versus USA, to be honest. Fahim, your thoughts? Um, I'm My thoughts are, think about what we're saying here. We're talking about the USA, Team USA, and meddling. Um, <laughs> like, normally, it, it's it's kind of expected that, like, you go in feeling like it's a goal. It's, you know, everyone else is playing for silver and bronze, right? Sure. Um just the fact that, you know, uh, maybe we've lowered our standards from this exhibition and kind of got us, uh, you know, second-guessing ourselves because meddling is in the, the NBA players, uh, like on paper, you look on paper and on the court. And I'm telling you on paper, this team should not lose to anybody. Though uh, we didn't mention um, for Australia, Joe Ingles, he played also. Oh, that's right. He did play. Yeah, uh, shout out Clipper Nation, who's still mad at Joe Ingles. Oh, oh really? Okay. Yeah, they, yeah, they are. Yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, la 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 last point, not you, Team USA related, um, Team Canada, mm -hmm. okay? Mm -hmm. Want to give you guys some, some love, right? Uh, the, the infrastructure being built right now for youth basketball in Canada phenomenally improved. Mm -hmm. uh, I think you're, what, 24th or 25th uh, in FIBA currently. Um, I'm thinking eight years, you guys are going to be top 10. I think you'll be perennial contenders. Uh, I think uh, you guys will be arguably uh, the next big thing coming outside of China or India in basketball. Thank you. And, and like, we believe so, too. Like, the programs now, even um, since the Raptors won, uh, the, a couple companies have been building a lot more basketball courts all over the country. That never was the case. So, um, but the Raptors winning uh, it impacted the country to the point where there's corporations and now support backing those programs, where before it was just hockey. So, for us being basketball fans living in Canada, like, we're so, like, thankful. Like, the Raptors championship wasn't just about the Raptors. It was beyond right. that. It really opened doors for our youth. And so, yeah, I really believe that too, Chris. I really believe so. Um, so you think uh, top 10 and like, that's gracious. Um, but think about the rap, uh, sorry, the Team Canada, there's more Canadians in the NBA than any other country, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm just wondering, since we are doing a great job of getting NBA ready talent, um, we should be, as time goes on, have more NBA players there. I'm expecting that if we're having the pace that we're at of getting these NBA players in, and these aren't just like bench players. A lot of these guys are like key guys starting on good teams. If we're 10th, I'm very disappointed. I'm, I'm thinking we should be much higher. We should be actually talking in 10 years about meddling. We should be in the meddling conversation. I don't know about that for him. I ain't there yet. I ain't there yet. I love it. If we're going to continue to produce NBA talent, I don't see why it should be should be. Um, I do issue. because our, our, if you look at the past Canadian players in the NBA, um, only a few have really impacted the NBA. The rest were either like 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 Andrew Wiggins is now now after how many years playing better? Uh, was it Anthony Bennett? Like what did he do? Right. I, I I I feel like like no. I get what you're saying, but to me it's like we need. I feel like our Canadian players don't have any grit. And I think Dylan Brooks was a, was a good, like, they, they have no grit. Like, if you watch how we played in a tournament, there was no sense of urgency. It was like we were on our on back you of our heels. Well, I, I, can, I can actually do something here that, I, that might help. I'm going to compare this to another sport. Okay. okay. Right. I want you to compare the overarching creation of Canada basketball, mm -hmm. right, to the creation of the UFC. And I want you to view the Toronto Raptors uh, as someone like Conor McGregor, okay? Mm -hmm. You came out of nowhere. You were real big. You, you captivated an entire fan base, an entire country, created national pride, created national investment, uh, and then you got hurt. Just like Conor did in his last fight, Kawhi left, 
It was mm-hmm. never the same. Mm-hmm. Pascal Siakam couldn't, you know, be the number one, as they said, which I think is a, a joke. Uh, Kyle Lowry wasn't the same because he's another year older and slower. Uh, you know, Fred Van Vliet's not going to live up to the contract. Chris Boucher is a G League uh, type <laughs> of experiment that's up here, shooting a three-pointer, looking like a trebuchet from the Middle Ages. Um, <laughs> the Toronto Raptors and Team Canada basketball's Conor McGregor. Okay, <laughs> we need to move from Conor McGregor into something that's more sustainable. Mm-hmm. And like to think about that, like Conor McGregor just got off of UFC 264 uh, in the trilogy match after doing no real MMA work for the last couple years. Very similar to what Toronto's done in basketball for the last couple years, like just trying to find an identity. And so here he comes in, you know, trying to find an identity, fighting somebody who he fought twice before. Um, and, and I think you can draw the parallels, right? You are now looking for what your identity is, mm-hmm. just like Conor McGregor is now after fracturing his tibia and fibula and, you know, being out of commission for, what, six to nine weeks on crutches, yeah. another three months, you know, for a rehabilita- rehabilitative work so he can just simply jog so that's where team canada basketball is and if we overshoot and try to rush it like uh you know within 10 years we're meddling you're more than likely going to fall apart and end yeah. up fighting the paul brothers from youtube on some <laughs> type of showtime jake uh, logan no it's true i honestly like i i truly believe that we have a, a right foundation but 10 years to build to be a national top three team to me, it's not really realistic. Um, so, I mean, but we're on the way. It's going to happen. It's just not going to happen, I think, in the next two Olympics. That's all for you. <laughs> all right. Yeah. Uh, so I like the way you transitioned and you mentioned about Conor McGregor. I like that analogy with Conor McGregor and the Raptors. Um, Conor McGregor, he just fought just last weekend, and he fought Dustin Poirier. Um, as we all know, broke his leg. Question is, where are we going from here with Conor McGregor? That, that's that's a great question. I have I, I have it's, no idea. Guys, listen. This man is a he's a brand. He's like Mayweather, right? So if you look at Mayweather's career, how Mayweather doesn't have to really fight someone, like he can just <laughs> say, "Hey, I'm going to spar with this guy from YouTube, and I'm still going to make fifty million." I think Connor, his brand is so strong that I don't think he's going to compete in UFC again. And if he does, it's a money grab. Just a money grab, personally. Like, like I just think that like he he is now at the end of his career. This my well, I, I, the, the the problem is is he he's a brand that exists in a realm of winning, right? Mm. Like, yeah, Floyd can go out there and make fifty billion, but that's because Floyd is undefeated. Like I, nobody's touched the man except for like a handful of times. Zab Judah. Uh, got him with an overhand right. Manny Pacquiao hurt him with a couple of body shots, but mm. uh, that was close to the end of the round, so he couldn't capitalize. Uh, I, he's only been knocked down once, I believe, in his entire professional career and once in his entire amateur career, which he, you know, alleges was a slip. You know, whatever. Right. Uh, <laughs> but that's that's Connor. He exists in that world of winning. And, like, he loses. Like, he is fighting the Logan brothers from YouTube. Like, yeah, that's not yeah. a joke. Like, and then nope. he'll lose that because he's not a boxer. No. And then, then after he does that, like, then what? Is he supposed to fight Steve-O from um, that MTV show? Like, <laughs> is he fighting Johnny Knoxville next? I mean, come on. Like, he needs to focus on his Irish whiskey. He needs to open up a gym. And he needs to open up a promotion business. And then that's it. And, like, take on these, these, uh, these future... Um, I don't want to call old man uh, fights, but these future exhibition bouts that we just got done seeing with like Mike Tyson. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. for sure. L- like, I could definitely see him doing exhibition fights for sure. But him fighting for UFC, I don't think that's going to happen. How about you, Fahim? Do you think he's done, so, done, or? Uh, yeah, that type of injury, uh, you'd figure for an MMA fighter, that's going to do you in. When I, when I seen it happen instantly, obviously, I thought of uh, Anderson Silva. And I watched it when he he broke his leg and he was never quite the same. And McGregor, I get those same vibes. Um, Only thing is, he does a great job of selling himself. Um, And I'm not comparing 
mixed martial arts to wrestling. I'm talking WWE or W. But, I mean, people will pay a ticket to be entertained. And I think, Connor, you, you, Chris, you're completely right about he's in the brand of winning. Like, in, we're winning. Uh, I think when we compare it to Floyd, where Floyd, in boxing, it seems like, especially nowadays, um, once you get one loss, two losses on your record, uh, your brand is tarnished, you know? Like, but I feel in MMA, you can have a few losses in there. And if you have a fan base, they will come and, 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 and cheer you on and watch you. And pay pay-per-view. I don't think losing is going to, if you are a Conor McGregor fan and you just enjoy the show, I don't think him losing is going to stop you from tuning in on a Saturday night on a pay-per-view to watch him. I think he's going to continue to be a draw. Um, the only thing is the type of matches he'll get, uh, he may, because of his name, still be able to get these top, uh, maybe a handful, maybe two or three top names before reality sinks in and you know maybe he's not there. I want to throw one quick curveball in here. Um, so in MMA... Kicking is, he broke it by kicking. So um, even if he heals, let's give him a year's time, his leg heals. Um, he still runs the risk of refracturing it or it, it's like it's like a weak spot. It's like an Achilles heel on him that everyone knows about, right? If he went to, if, say he went to boxing though. Boxing, he doesn't have to worry about uh, strikes to the leg, you know? Um, and if you heard Conor McGregor was boxing somebody, I think because of what happened with Floyd, I think he can, you know, show him showmanship his way around it and <laughs> get a big boxing fight. What do you guys say to that? Uh, he, he doesn't have the hand speed. Agreed. Yeah, I mean, but if he took time to train, do you think uh, he's still okay? Fair enough. Fair like, enough. Watch, watch how watch how he does his strikes. Like he's mm -hmm. he's a wide striker, right? Right. So he's he's striking uh, from up and under. Right when and, and then he'll come up and over for his uh, haymakers uh, right. in boxing. Like if he's gonna do that, he's gonna have to tuck in his shoulder to come in with a right. clear hook. Right. And that is completely different from what he's physiologically used to. Um, I get you. So he would have to learn how to um, actually throw off his lead foot like an actual boxer. Because if you right. also lost to Floyd Mayweather fight, he couldn't throw off his lead foot. He doesn't have a jab. He right. kind of has a, a looping pawing motion. Right. He doesn't have much. He, is, he doesn't have combinations. I, I, no. I, I yeah, yeah, I get you. I get you. But I mean, I think if if I was him to take to play to safe route to make sure that he doesn't re-injure that leg, that might be the safe route. I think. But I, I will give you a match, a boxing match, because of your curveball uh, that you are going to love. Okay. Nate Diaz. Oh. Okay. Wow. I really think, guys, uh, Connor will make money. I this this, this man that would that would do heavy numbers though. That would do heavy numbers. Yeah, like like I I I can't see Connor not fighting, whether it's boxing or UFC, because people just enjoy like like even the pre the pre fights, like the interviews. He's just a big personality, and like a, like I don't know. I think he's going to fight, but it'll be exhibition. Either a sparring fight or it's going to be UFC, but a low card. It won't be the highest, the best fighter in UFC, but like mm. a lower card. Because I think we want to see, okay, how is he going to fight? I think UFC won't give him a big, a, a big, a big uh, card for sure. No, no, no. But Connor's funny, man. He's, he's, he's cool to fight. He's fun to watch. <laughs> well, definitely a showmanship for the ages. Okay, so let's go to for the culture for the culture we like to highlight individuals y'all that's for the culture and this week we get to highlight mr chris barnett so chris is like he's that person that's just very talented okay he's actually a founder of creating the nba on clubhouse um and he's actually trying to also expand on twitter spaces as well He's also is a part of the pro sports uh, team on Clubhouse, and he also covers the Dallas Mavericks as a non-credentialed uh, media member. And he's also an amazing writer, actually. Chris, like, do you write? Because, anyways, <laughs> I, uh, I I I do. Uh, I ghostwrite. I also uh, write for uh, a couple of uh, actual people who publish that, that they usually need help to clean up some stuff or are tie up a, a theme um 
writing in the NBA is not hard. You can write about anything you want. Uh, getting credentials in the NBA uh, is difficult, especially in the world of COVID. Uh, mm -hmm. But shout out to Dallas Mavericks and the Dallas Mavericks PR team. I have an OMG account to, to gain access to uh, team news, stats, interviews, and stuff like that to, to help cover um, the Dallas Mavericks and Mark Cuban. Uh, they're, they're one of the most aggressive franchises that, that do offer uh, equity to independent journalists, including black uh, journalists. So I also want to shout out Chris Henderson, uh, who covers the Mavericks and Texas Rangers. Um, awesome. Yeah, the, it, it completely started by happenstance. Uh, the, the co-founders and I, we, we love basketball. Um, I, I have a serendipitous route to the, the place that I am today. Um, but needless to say, the two of us, we, we've, been, we've known each other for nearly a decade. We met playing fantasy basketball, uh, amongst all things. Uh, and then when he had gotten wind of Clubhouse, he's like, man, we, we have to get you over there. Uh, and, and you need to get on there and talk. And, and I'm not a social media person. Uh, it's not... <laughs> It's just, it's not, it's not my wheelhouse. Every time a social media app uh, came out, I was deployed uh, doing uh, my job. So every time I came back, like Facebook was already out and I didn't really care. Instagram, Snapchat and, and whatever. Um, <laughs> so they, they get me on here. And, and first, the one reason why I'm not really big on social media is I, I have a, a difficult problem um, following people who have, absolutely zero linear thought process. And I'm a very abstract thinker, uh, but the majority of people you come across with are very linear thinkers and trolls are not linear thinkers. Uh, trolls cannot think past what's in front of them. You have to have, yes. actually be able to see past what's in front of you to be a linear thinker. And I also oftentimes find that social media, you know, delineates the linear thinking, which is the basis of all verbal communication, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so that's the long-winded way to say is like, there's not enough people who just talk basketball the way I want to talk basketball. <laughs> but it's so crazy because, you know, there are other clubs on Clubhouse, but I feel like um, the NBA on CH uh, is different because you guys do allow, which I prefer, you allow women and men to speak and everyone gets a moment to talk. And I feel like even when a woman or a man speaks, I feel like the response is, is equitable. Like, like you don't feel less or more because you guys actually treat every comment as the same, right? It's very objective, which I prefer because sometimes you're like, oh, if a girl, if a woman's speaking, like, well, they laugh at me or take me seriously or takes or speak over me. So I really appreciate that. But I'm just curious to know your journey from, you know, being in the military and over to basketball and pursuing now a full-fledged career in the NBA, like, I'm just curious, I'm curious to know, like, how did that transition happen? And was it hard to go from one extreme to another extreme? Well, it, not, it's not that it was hard. It's just that in life, nothing really happens as expected as planned. And that's, that's a different saying as nothing, nothing happens that you truly expect. Nothing happens that you truly plan. Nothing happens that is expected that you plan, right? You plan everything whether it's conscious or subconscious, whether you want to realize it or not, every action you do is already a thought you've already uh, come to an agreement with, with your personal ethos and, and self-directive measure of um, determining what the best course of action is. Mm -hmm. That is that is something that is truly inherent to my worldview. Uh, I've grown up this way. Uh, both my parents were military. They are military intelligence. Uh, so, you know, it, it's a very... Uh, very cold and analytical approach to how I view where I am now. Um, I am here merely because of the love and support of everybody uh, who has come across me uh, within this field of dropping audio. Um, what I try to do is simply treat every single person the way that I want to be treated by every single person. Not, no less, no more. Because in, in the world of humankind, um, we oftentimes focus on the human part and not the kind part. And, and the very first part of the kind part is being willing to sacrifice what your thoughts and beliefs and opinions are uh, to give time to the other person, their thoughts, beliefs, and opinions are. And only when you're able to do that 
uh, in an open forum can you actually create honest and true dialogue and only through honest and true dialogue can you actually become better. Uh, that is what a conversation is. That's what a conversation is supposed to be. It's supposed to make us better. It's supposed to make us feel better. It's supposed to be cathartic. It's supposed to create a social connection that is intimate, uh, but not intimate to the level of the significant other. And it's a lost art uh, because we live in a world now uh, that is instant gratification. So when I was retired, and I told you the story off air, uh, I, I was given two days to clear, uh, which if you're familiar with any military process, that's usually not how it goes. You usually have termination orders with a date on it, so you know when you're supposed to clear and everything. Um, I was hit with an IED. Uh, it caused some injuries. The injuries caught up to me through rehab. Um, I tried to run away so I wouldn't be uh, medically retired. By the time I was eight, I knew I wanted to be a lifer. I wanted to stay in until I was 50. Um, but unfortunately, life threw a, a different challenge to me. Um, when I got out, uh, entered a real, real deep part of post-traumatic stress disorder. Uh, I, probably depression, but in terms of having what you knew you were going to be and having what you were extremely good at, you were adept at doing, uh, taken away from you. It's not unlike having a, a, an athlete you know, with a career-ending injury. So, like, there's a lot of lost time there. Then um, I, I decided to honor a promise that I made to my mother's mother, my grandmother, that I go to culinary school. Went to culinary school, graduated. I, I worked in the culinary field. I worked for uh, Chef James of Tacken, um, Next Food Network star uh, down in Miami. We did um, catering restaurant wars in, in Las Vegas and won as we teamed up with Vic Vegas. Uh, and then I had a son. Um, and went through a process where my uh, wife, who is also uh, a vet who suffers from PTSD, went through postpartum depression, uh, you know, had a, a couple of mental health issues, and, and now I'm, I'm a single father. I've been a single father for seven years. Uh, I needed something to keep me sane. And, and that's what basketball provided. And that's what the conversations provided. But the issue was finding enough people to want to talk intrinsically and deeply about basketball, which is more than, oh, my God, is Michael Jordan better than Kobe? Is LeBron better than Michael? And like, that's not basketball. Like, that's TMZ. If you want TMZ, don't come to my room. Okay? There's plenty it's of true. It's true. that you can get your TMZ on. You can get your... Uh, bold and the beautiful on you, you can get your daily soaps in uh, if you want it to be like uh, an actual conversation where there's like uh, maybe a breakfast club vibe uh, maybe there's a, a Tom Joyner back from the 90s vibe where he gets a little bit serious uh, or maybe it's something where you know it's a deep topic uh, like the Portland Trailblazers hiring Chauncey Billups and now coming out that they possibly didn't do a thorough enough background, right? Or why is it the fact that Teresa Witherspoon didn't really get the same publicity when she interviewed for the uh, New Orleans uh, head coaching job instead of Willie Green, right? These are the conversations that are worth having. These are the conversations uh, that I am building here on Clubhouse. And this is really also what Twitter recruited me for, for Twitter Spaces. And that's where uh, hashtag hoop spaces comes in. We'll be uh, debuting some stuff on Twitter spaces under that hashtag. Uh, Pro Sports Network is, is a general sports network where I'm the program director, uh, where we're able to cover football, baseball. We did the uh, uh, hashtag I back Naomi Osaka mm -hmm. room when she withdrew from the French Open that trended on Twitter. Um, so it gives us an outline, an outlier uh, to put other stuff non-basketball related. And I know Jomo's back there. There you go, man. I hope I got that in 10 minutes. Uh, <laughs> no, you're good. Up. You're no, good. awesome. So there you go. No, you're good because um, I actually was able to co-moderate with um, one of our close friends, Fabian uh, Lyons, who we're going to have on the podcast as well in the future. And that was great. We talked Shout about the Shikari. Yeah, talk to Shikari Richardson. So, no, I really think, especially now in the sports world, like you said, um, there's a lot of TMZ sports networks and sports media outlets. And I feel like your room does have those real life conversations that we should be talking about to make us better fans and better human beings. Like, I think being better fans is worth it. You know what I'm saying? Because sometimes we could be, we could all be terrible fans. For, you know what I'm saying? So I really think that room or the, the, the spaces you hold 
kind of enforces us to be better fans and to look at the basketball game, not just from one lens, but from multiple lenses. And I love that we can hear everyone else's point of view, which is, I think, is a, an amazing space. Uh, Fahim, we're talking. Any questions for uh, our boy, Chris? <laughs> I only have one question, actually. So we'll definitely get, get into bigging him up in regards to uh, what he has on Clubhouse. But my question is this. Um, this is a, a, a unique situation for me where um, I'm speaking to somebody who's served in the U.S. military. Um, someone who uh, clearly, if you, we've been listening to him, he's an orator, like speaks well, great train of thought. So here's my question, because uh, I'm going to throw it to myself, and you can try and like um, either way kind of set me straight of where I went wrong. This is going to be quick. Watch this. The NFL, Kaepernick. I used to follow football a lot. Um, after what happened uh, with the uh, – the kneeling situation um, got turned off of the NFL. Um, even now, it's been a lot, of, a lot of damage has been, I guess, overlooked now. And now we're kind of back to normal somewhat. Um, I still, I haven't forgotten what happened to Kaepernick. Um, I'm just wondering, as someone who's actually served in the U.S. military, um, how does... So there was a misunderstanding, I guess, remember what Drew Brees and Drew Brees was talking about uh, just the misunderstanding of what he, with the, with the kneeling situation and, and the flag and the whole disrespect in the flag. I'm just wondering from your standpoint, how does, um, how does, like, what is your take in regards to Kaepernick, the flag, since your, your situation is different because you've served. I've never spoke to someone who served. It's, it's sad that it kind of comes to this. Um, I, I've lost friends uh, mm. in combat. Um, and what I try to tell uh, people is that Colin Kaepernick is exercising his rights that my friends and brothers and sisters in arms lay down their lives to exercise. Mm -hmm. And the, the real crime in this isn't that he was blackballed out the league, as some would say. Uh, he was told the path he was required to take to return. Whether that was fair or unfair is not the argument. Mm -hmm. The argument is this. It was an American citizen who was expressing his personal beliefs and opinions while exercising a right granted to him by the Constitution of the United mm -hmm. States of America. And it really is that simple, honestly. Mm -hmm. Anybody else who says anything otherwise is allowing their emotions to get in front of fact. And the fact is you had a black man, a biracial black man, of which I am also a biracial black man, which is different than being just a black man, which is also different than being an immigrant. Uh, who is of black and African descent or of diasporic descent or of Caribbean descent or of Central American descent. It, it, it's intrinsic to what we are supposed to be as a nation. Mm -hmm. And the fact that we couldn't say we can disagree with you and be very upset and disagree with you, but man, isn't this country great? The fact that you can do it, mm -hmm. right? But the problem is when you have that argument, then you also open up the door of the argument saying, well, you know what? Robert E. Lee is a central figure to American history too. And if these people want to honor what they believe his legacy is, then they too are afforded the same protections and principles of the First Amendment of the United States, of the of America and the Constitution, which is what makes this country great. Mm -hmm. And and the problem is is that a lot of too many a lot of people are too much in their feelings uh, to just sit back and say I don't need to agree with everything because you know what you don't in your everyday life and yet your life still seems to go by fine. Mm. Y'all, Chris broke it down. Chris Barnett, we're gonna have all this information, y'all. Please check out Hoop Spaces on Twitter, Clubhouse. Guys, join Clubhouse. It's so important to have real conversation with real people. In Clubhouse, he's interviewed players, co I mean coaches, people within the NBA. So you don't want to miss that, as well as he has pro sports and NBA Clubhouse. So 
folks support Chris Barnett. He's definitely a leader in this space. And we're so honored to have you on the podcast, Chris. Like really, we really are thankful that you came to join us. <laughs> oh, no, I'm, I'm always happy to talk sports, culture and everything. Um, there's one thing we left on the table. Maybe we'll be able to come back and we can tease it. Uh, that's the England situation. Oh, no, that's... Uh, oh, no, 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 My ears are burning and it's not the light that's shining on them. No, no, it's okay, everybody. So that's for the culture, y'all. The segment has ended. And now we're going to our last segment, people them, Fahim. That's right. Let's close it out with that's absurd. That's absurd, Fahim, bro. What was absurd this week? What was absurd? All right. So as we know, Euro 2021 happened. Uh, the absurd. So this is the absurd situation that happened. England lost in penalty kicks. Uh, the three uh, players that happened to miss were black. And social media had a field day in regards to highlighting that situation. Absurd. Absurd. Um, but are we surprised? I'm not surprised. We know fans, especially soccer, football fans in Europe, have been known to be very uh, racist. Uh, we've seen many players speak out against it. Uh, we've seen players kneel and get backlash. Like, I'm not surprised. Like, actually, when I saw it happen, Fahim, in real time, I was like, these poor young brothers. Your thoughts, Chris? Like, were you shocked? as to how um, some fans, not all, but how some fans responded to uh, the black players missing the penalty kicks? Would I be shocked that the country that's for <laughs> Rudyard Kipling, the man that wrote the Jungle Book, the man who would be king, and the white man's burden, that they would be racist to call black people monkeys, to throw bananas at them, to, to get on social media and tell them how black people... Uh, were the reason why the three Lions lost in Euro 2020? I mean, like, no. Hmm. I, no, uh, it's not. It's in all levels of English football, for all of the English people who are going to be listening to this podcast, which I hope you do, um, y'all have a problem. You're worse intrinsically than America in terms of your closet racism uh, in your fandom towards black people in your country. Uh, whether they are immigrants or are native-born at this point, because there are two or three <clears throat> um, generations worth within uh, the UK, um, it doesn't matter. Whether you're in mm -hmm. the Premier League and second tier, third tier, champions, whatever, the, every single team has had a problem. And uh, it's to the point where, like, Twitter, they said they had to take down thousands of, of tweets Facebook couldn't even give you the number of messages they took down or blocked. The Guardian and Verge and BBC, the three probably top uh, news organizations uh, within the UK that cover sports, uh, reached out to everybody and they've been getting the, the, the cold shoulder. Uh, there's just a historical pattern of England being extremely racist towards not just their football players, but their cricket players, their Olympic players, their basketball players, uh, to their future uh, princess or duchess. I don't know how it works with um, yeah. uh, Kate Middleton, Pipa, Pippa. I can't remember her name. But it's just, it's, it's hilarious because they always, they always trade upon, you know, their wellness and well-wishing and their culturalism and the fact that they're all eloquent and boisterous speakers and uh, <laughs> that they created this elegant language, which is going to lose to Chinese in terms of the uh, AI fight that we have in the next two decades. So, yeah. like, I... I it's so old and withering and dying. It's like the rose has already been put into the picture book and the plastic. We just need to turn the page. <laughs> Honestly, wow. it's, it, it's so true. And that's why, um, so it's funny. It's not funny, but I did meet someone that, um, on Clubhouse actually, and she was telling me that there's actually a petition right now happening in the UK where they're trying to now uh, do what the NBA does, which is ban racist fans from attending any future games. So, well, you would probably ban a quarter of the stadium. Well, that's what, yeah. hey, and, but guess what? If if you could be banned, will you be racist, right? And it's try to create that. So um, actually, we posted this um, 
the link to change.org petition. If you can, y'all, please sign it. They want everyone from across the world to sign it. It's going to go to Boris Johnson and the Football Association because they've had enough. And, you know, like America, like Canada, racism is everywhere, right? I think the top three countries in the world that have the most white or right, white nationalist groups is the UK, Canada and America. We're top three. And so we understand what they're going through because your country is not all racist. But when this happened, especially with Siakam last year, we had the same incident, um, Chris, in the bubble when Siakam didn't play, uh, the, the Canadian racist came out and was calling him lots of names that I'm not going to repeat. But it's it happens in all of these countries like America, Canada, and the UK. So if we can support them in their on the petition, why not? But like you said, Chris, I was not surprised. I was like, okay. Here we go again, right? So I'm hoping they can make a change in, in the UK for this. Yeah, yeah, it, is, oh, go ahead, my oh, bad. You go. No, you're the guest. Floor is yours. I, I was gonna say, like, and they're doing this in a in a game and a sport that wasn't even created by them. <laughs> who created? Oh wait, hold on. Who who created football or soccer? Exactly. You got to go read the history. The, the origination has come uh, to South America or Central America with the yeah. Aztecs. Yeah, okay. Aztecs, yeah. Okay. Like, yeah. They, are, they are doing this in a sport that they didn't even create. Wow. Wow. No, uh, like that, my yeah. drop. That's what, yeah, that's, that's one to grow on. Uh, all I have to say in this is, uh, you know, it's kind of, it's very sad coming off of what happened with George Floyd. Um, and it seemed like everyone was kind of on the same page. Like, everyone's, you know, even with the NBA kneeled in the bubble uh, for football, soccer, they, they, no say no to racism, kneel before the game. So uh, it, it kind of just shows kind of the reality of uh, race relations, how, you know, on the surface things to, are seem or to be better, but nothing has really changed. Uh, nothing's really changed. Yeah. Well, the, the one thing that I say um, is we oftentimes lack context. Mm -hmm. uh, and we, we lack the ability to discern historical patterns. Mm -hmm. uh, in my country, we had the civil rights movement that started really in the 50s, predominated the 60s, ended in the 70s. Um, and we're still not where we are wanting to be. But what people don't understand is we're only 60 years away from it. That's one generation. My grandfather was born to the first free person in my family. That's just wow. two generations away, mm -hmm. right? I'm 38. My grandfather lived until he was 89. That's 129 years. It's mm -hmm. 2021, right? My grandfather's father was born uh, in 1883 right? Mm -hmm. Do you think my grandfather was able to escape racism? Do you think my father was able to escape racism, even though he's lived the majority of his life outside the civil rights era? I'm the first in my family's generation. Well, actually, my cousin is. He's three years older than me. Um, he's the first, but you know, I'll keep it as I am because I don't really talk to him as much as I used to. In my family's generation, to not even have to worry about uh, not being able to eat at a White Castle, not being able to use a water fountain, mm. not being able to use a public bathroom, right? So if I'm the first generation in my family, why are we as a culture expecting everything to be good? Agreed. Right? Mm -hmm. Like, historically speaking, in slavery and, and discrimination, it takes six to seven generations just to even make the break, break point of what equality is, let alone equity. Right. Absolutely. So, I mean, this is something that has dated back before we were even a country. There were black men of Islam, of, of Muslim faith. There were black men who were Jewish people that predate the Civil War, that predate the, the Revolutionary War. There just wasn't that many of them. Right. So, so the fact that we as a culture don't have the ability to sit back and say, yo, yes, it's bad. Yes, we want it better. But, man, we need to really dig in mm -hmm. because we're not done. And we still have another generation. Like Martin Luther King knew it. Malcolm X knew it. Um, Cornell West, who just stepped down from Harvard, knows this. Yes. But they lived through it. We didn't. And now we are up in this uh, self-gratification, instant gratification culture. And they want equity, equity, equity. But they don't really understand that they have it. 
It's just that they have to individually achieve it. Yeah, no, you're right. And that's why I think, because um, like, I studied history in America, Caribbean, Canada, even the UK, Russia, like I'm a history buff. So I, I even last year when I saw all the glitz and glam, the NBA, I'm like, yeah, whatever. Like this is, it's going to change anything. Like we're not even where we want to be. Um, and I know it's going to take some time, but I think some people have given up hope, which I don't want anyone to do. Like, I understand we're not where we want to be, but we have to fight now so our kids can fight. So our other kids can fight. It, it's going to be a, a long haul type battle and so don't give up hope i understand especially as a sport fan for me as a black woman i'm always like oh my gosh like this is so crazy but it's like we have to support our black athletes we just have to support them and send them love so again y'all send the petition support let's see what we can do and hopefully i mean the nba i think has started the precedence of if you're a racist fan or whatever you're banned, you're suspended. Like, I like that. So hopefully other leagues can, can fall in line and hopefully also the world. So hopefully that will happen. Maybe not our generation, but maybe our kid generation. <laughs> all we can do is try, right? That's all we can mm -hmm. do, man. All right. It's about that time. Let's put this episode in the books. Ooh, episode 48. 48. <laughs> oh my goodness, y'all. If you suck with us, Thank you so, so much. This episode, we had Chris Barnett, who dropped so much knowledge, so much yes. insight. Like, legit, y'all, follow the man. Follow him, okay? <laughs> so, Chris, before you go, we love to give our special guest, like yourself, a, a chance to do a shout-out. So, the floor is yours. Uh, okay, so let me uh, shout-out first everybody that, that's helped me along my way, uh, not the standard mom and dad. Uh, but everybody who's been able to pop into a room on Clubhouse or Twitter Spaces. Uh, one thing that I want to do that, that I don't think people do enough, uh, I want to shout out everybody who's willing to sit down uh, and take a chance on a dream or an idea that they have. Nothing is more exposing in this world and attaching your emotional soul to a physical entity, um, whether it's a piece of art, or a piece of literature, or in this case, a podcast. Um, if you put yourself out there uh, where you open yourself to ridicule, to hate, uh, to shame, understand how strong you are as a person. Uh, wrap yourself up in that strength. Uh, because in all honesty, the, the world is hard uh, mm -hmm. and we need people who are willing to be honest with themselves and take that leap and take that shot. So if you are uh, an entrepreneur, if you are a content creator uh, and you are coming off a hard 20 months as someone who beat cancer, uh, who's stuck inside for over a year because of the pandemic, shout out to you. That's my shout out. Thank you. And, and I've had a blast here on the Good Rookies podcast. Hopefully, uh, we will be able to return the favor uh, and, and be, you know, come again. And when we open up the uh, Hoop Spaces podcast, we can have uh, the lovely lady and gentleman uh, from the Good Rookies podcast on as guests. Oh, thank right. you. That's awesome. My shout out is to Chris Barnett. Um, the moment I heard this man on the hoop on um, Clubhouse, I was like, okay, I need to get familiar with this person because like you really meet people that are into sports as much as you, but also can bring a different element to sport that, that, that like you don't see. And Chris is that person. So thank you, Chris. Thank you for all your support. And thank you for holding your, your, your safe spaces for women online in sports because as you know when women are doing things in sports whether we are reporting in the media or whatever we get pushback so i appreciate you holding a safe space for us absolutely i also want to shout out uh for me actually shout out just all the olympians that are on en route to tokyo um it's going to be very challenging no fans are going to be there um it's going to be very difficult with covid tokyo people there are still protesting against the olympics so just shout out to all the all the athletes going there be safe be prosperous and just come back home to your families in, in, in one piece is all we ask for fahim your thoughts uh, so i want to shout out chris it's been a pleasure having you on um I, I've, I've I've heard you on Clubhouse. See how 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 things have been going uh, on Clubhouses. Have you here 
um, on a more, I guess, personal kind of extended time. Um, I'm a fan. I'm a friend. Like, I like your train of thought. Um, we'll have to do this again. Definitely. Yeah. Um, we'll on again. For sure. For sure. <laughs> I want also want to make a quick shout out also to, um, the number one ranked female tennis player in the world is Aboriginal first nation. I love it. Mm -hmm. Shout out to Ashley Barty. She won Wimbledon and this is something that's not mentioned. Uh, she's the number one player in the world, and she is the head of the National Indigenous uh, Tennis uh, Association in Australia. Yes. And the reason why this feel is kind of relevant is, um, Chris, you're American. In Canada here, I'm not sure if you heard, but uh, we've been having, uh, in regards to First Nation Indigenous, uh, you know, there's been some our, our past is starting to show in the present in regards to uh, some lost uh, lost souls from yes. schools. Yes. So, so just to give you a background, in Canada, we had schools that were created to, uh, I guess, take the Indian, as they said, um, out of the indigenous culture. Right. So they forced indigenous children from six, from eight of six, to go into these schools that were ran by the, uh, the Catholic and Anglican uh, churches, along with the government. Right. And so uh, the chiefs from these tribes have always been telling the government that we've been missing children. Kids will go and not come back and so forth. No one believed them. We had a national inquiry where they actually brought a case together. They won. And now um, due to that order, uh, the government, along with other uh, groups, are now going to each school to find um and they're finding mass graves in, in mm -hmm. canada so having an indigenous woman at the top of tennis is historic right Especially and that's why i'd like to time. definitely shout this out just due to the fact that uh whenever we hear first nation indigenous um it's very rare it's it's something in in the positive light especially as of late you know it's just so when i when i hear that um i think we really need to highlight that and I think as a culture, embrace Ash Bart Barty um, as one of our own. We, talk, we, you know, you hear BIPOC, you know, Black Indigenous person of color. Um, she, she's one of us. So yes. I think we, you know the same way uh, Osaka, uh, she's embraced as one of us. Uh, Serena embraces one of us. Uh, Coco Goff, you know, like the list goes on. I, th I if if Ash Barty identifies as Indigenous First Nation, um, we need to embrace that. And that's why I want to close it out. Awesome, y'all. So that was episode 48. 48. Folks, if you had a great time, if you learned a lot, which I know you did, please subscribe. Uh, tell a friend to tell a friend to tell a friend. Fahim. That's right. You know where to find us. If you're looking for us, we're there for you. That's Good Rookies Podcast, episode 48. And we out. Peace. Peace.